0: Mark chapter number 9, and we're going to start number verse uh, 42. Mark 9 and verse number 42. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hang about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life me than having two hands to go into hell, into a fire that never shall be quenched. Which there where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, it is better for thee to enter halt into life uh, than having two feet to be cast into hell in a fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time, Lord, to look into your word. I pray, Lord, that as we do, our hearts would be open to your leaning and will for our lives, and that we would follow what you have for us. Lord, I pray you watch over us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, previous part of this chapter, Jesus and his disciples, uh, well, Jesus really is on the way to the cross, to Jerusalem, to die. And the disciples are not wanting to hear that. Uh, they're not ready for his death. Uh, and earlier in this passage, they were bickering amongst themselves. Who will be the greatest? Uh, and it kind of reminds me of the, you know, this high school or you know, elementary school, should be more elementary school, you know, the biggest kid in town saying, I'm the coolest, I'm the best, I'm number one type of thing. Uh, they were fighting like that, and Jesus used their argument to teach them a very important truth, that the individual who will be the greatest is the one who serves the most. The servant will be the greatest. A- and uh, it- it's in humble service. Now, far too many today uh, are too interested in the chief seat, and far too few are interested in serving. It was in Jesus' day, and so it is with ours. We need to make sure that we are in where we need to be. It's a lesson that we need to apply to our hearts. And on the heels of that event, Jesus issues a series of stern cautions or warnings to his disciples. The language used here is very direct. It's very direct and definitely caught the attention of the disciples. It's, uh, it's, it's profitable to have those direct conversations, don't you think? I mean, sometimes it's okay just to be kind of just chatting and nothing really is being said. It's just kind of ambiguous talk. But there's times when it has to be straight. It has to be direct. And sometimes a little bit uncomfortable even. We need those times. Like I can remember growing up, my grandfather, we call him Pop, he started a tire company back in the 80s. called It's called the Tire market, really original name, Pop. Uh, and guess what we sold there? Tires, this half is awake, this one's are still sleepy, so uh, we sold tires there. And uh, almost all the grandkids who lived in that part uh, of the world, we lived, that was in Newfoundland, you know, most of us, all of us who lived there, grandkids, at some point worked in some capacity at the shop. That's what we called it, the shop. Uh, tire tax, trains and tires, I did that. Sales, inventory, accounting, and cleanup, okay, all of us. And you know what happens when a bunch of cousins in their teen years get together? Not a whole lot of work. All right, and we had it was a two-story uh, uh, building. Down at the bottom was where the garages were. Uh, we had two or three garages there, and upstairs as well, the tires were. And, uh, you know, as we were young, my grandfather and my dad was the manager. They wanted us, you know, putting the tires away, the dirty work, you know. And uh, and the other guys were downstairs, you know, changing tires, selling, whatever. And uh, I had this one cousin. I still have him. Uh, and he's always been way bigger than us, okay. And he would always use that bigger and stronger to his advantage. And the only way we had to defeat his causes of Harm on us was to run away. Uh, but eventually the legs get tired and he would catch us. Just, you know, he was a little bit more strategic in his thinking. And uh, you see those uh, tires, you know, they're stacked up, so many high. There's always a hole in the middle, right? And this particular cousin liked to throw us down in those holes. Okay. No, nah, it wasn't hurting us or anything. It's just, you know, uh, it, it was just how it happened. And we thought it was hilarious and joking around. Well, one of these days, my pop you know, who served in the military in the Second World War, who was pretty, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? He's, he's, he's not having no joking on the job, okay? He comes around the corner as I'm getting tossed down this thing of tires, okay? So he doesn't know who's in the tires, but he knows who tossed me in. And he, in no uncertain terms, tells my cousin what he thought of that. And I'm not going to repeat what he said because I can't repeat what he says. Okay? He told him to smarten up and let's go, let's go. And it caught my cousin's attention. It lasts for about three days, but, you know, it it helped. The reality is, the reason my grandfather did that was he was trying to teach us some lessons about hard work, right? You don't mess around. Just because you're family doesn't mean you get to mess around at work. And he's trying to teach us some things. And the reason that the Lord was so direct with his disciples is that he wanted to teach them some things. He wanted to grab hold of their attention. We see a caution to the saints in verse number 42. A caution to the saints. Jesus had used an illustration here uh, about serving uh, in verses 36 and 37. And we're to serve those that are neglected and rejected by others. Uh, we're supposed to serve those who cannot serve us in return. In other words, we're not to serve for the purpose of our own personal advantage or advancement. It's serving because we love Jesus. That's why we serve. We love the Lord. And we're willing to take that place of a servant, a slave in the kingdom of God, serving Christ with a humble spirit and serving our fellow man. And in this verse, Jesus uses the same child that he had used earlier in this portion uh, and teaches some another important principle. Not only do we just serve the least among us, we're commanded to protect the least among us from sin. We have a duty to protect. The word offend here in verse 42, and whosoever shall offend one of these little ones means to scandalize. It has an idea of leading someone else into sin. And Jesus says that that's a very serious matter when we cause one of God's children to fall into sin. When we're the ones leading the rope, you know, gotten the rope and leading that person into sin. Jesus said it would better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea. That the word millstone literally means a donkey stone, which was a reference to a stone that a donkey would, you know, use to they would tie onto the donkey to uh, grind, uh, grind out the grain. Okay, it it was heavy. If a stone were tied around the neck of any individual and thrown in the sea, we know what happens—they drown. There's no possible way of refuting that. And when Jesus used this image, his listeners were very familiar with this practice. The Romans did it in that day. They would carry out executions by tying a heavy stone around the neck of a victim and throw them into rivers and lakes. And I believe the Romans got it from the Greeks because they did it. And I don't know if the Greeks exactly got it from the Syrians, but the Syrians did it before them. A horrific of death, a horrific way of doing it. This was their method. This image is very graphic. Jesus is describing a death that's horrible. And the idea is that it's preferable for that to happen to someone than to lead someone into sin. He's not talking to the lost here. He's talking to the saved. He's talking to me and you today. Those who know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's talking to us. He's telling us not to do this. Jesus says this is grievous. Uh, And in fact, someone who harms the child of God, according to Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8, he says, for he that toucheth you touches the apple of his eye. This is a graphic verse as well. It tells us exactly what the Lord thinks. It's dangerous to be uh, touching in the sense of God's children, to lead them into wickedness, into sin with an intended purpose. You know, how do we do that? How how can we be end up being a stumbling to someone else by directing, tempting others to sin? We can do that. We're we're sinners saved by grace. If we're not careful, we can end up doing that. That kind of behavior is seen throughout the Bible. Eve, first few chapters we find it. Aaron tempting the nation of Israel to, to worship the calf. And they did. Uh, the Pharisees numerous times tempting people into sin. Hey, someone could attempt someone to say, hey, hey, uh, you know, our government is so corrupt and we live in such a bad society and, you know, just don't say, don't put that little check mark on your taxes. Now, I'm going to agree with you that our government is not heading the right way. I mean, we're in bad trouble. But it never gives me an excuse to do what's wrong. Right? So that's an area where we can tempt someone into sin. And I don't like paying taxes just like the next person, but it's my responsibility. People can be led into sin indirectly when we treat others with insensitive or insensitive to them. Unloving, unkind in our ways can cause them to sin through being upset and cause the emotions to come. And that doesn't affect everybody. You know, we have a crowd this size. If I didn't talk to some of you, you'd be like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to go home and eat my dinner and I'm fine. Other people will be like, well, pastor didn't talk to me today. I must have done something. And others like, well, he's so high and mighty, he won't talk to me anyway. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Everyone's a little different. So we need to be making sure that we're as sensitive as we possibly can to, hey, to show love, to show kindness, to show the love of Christ. You know, at the end of the day, it's not I'm not trying to lead someone into sin, but you can make sure your heart's right with the Lord as well. We can spark an angry reaction in people. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. People can be led into sin by a wicked example. (laughs) If a believer who's weaker in the faith sees a respected believer commit a sin, that can really seriously affect a younger believer. and, And they think, well, if he can do it, I can do it too. Well, sin is sin, right? Amen? Sin is sin. doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 years or if you've been saved for five minutes. Okay? It's still sin. Abstain from all appearance of evil. First Thessalonians 5.22. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It's possible... In our liberty to cause others to sin, a mature believer knows the truth. Uh, kind of like Paul says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. As a redeemed believer, I have a great liberty in Jesus Christ. Amen? I do. You do. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have great liberty. I'm not under law. You're not under law if you know Christ as Savior. But I'm under grace. However, a weaker believer sees me do things that he believes are wrong and I encourage him to do those things, I, I'm going against his conscience. You know, I'm helping him sin. Let me give you a really, okay, give me an example of this. So I like to watch football, okay, uh, on occasion. It's usually to help me fall asleep on a Sunday afternoon. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm on my couch, out I go, okay? And it sounds kind of like that, too, be honest with you. Uh, but there's other people who don't like football. That's fine. You come to my house, I'm not gonna make you watch football. We'll sit in the couch and you're gonna hear me go, Mm-mm. as well. Okay? But the reality is, I'm not gonna make you do that. If you tell me that you've got a problem with that, well, well let's go do something else. Let's go for a walk. I'm not gonna make you do it. As, you know, let, let, we're here to serve the Lord together, amen? Let, let's go forward together. Let, we, we're gonna to encourage each other as we go. People can be led away through false doctrine. Teachers of false religion and lead people astray. And listen, I don't doubt for a moment in our day of information, man, we can get so much information as quick as that. I mean, really, how fast uh, we can get information? I can think of a, as a kid. Can anyone else remember the encyclopedia, the hardbound type? Yeah, not on the your screen. But the type you'd have to pick up, I can remember as my kid, my uh, parents bought Encyclopedia Britannica. Is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, And it was from 1969 to 1984. You know, I was a bit of a weird child. I like to take them out and just look through them. Usually just for the pictures, you know, but, you know, slipping through them. You know, just looking through them, looking through them. And I can find things in those things, uh, uh, you know, good information, whatever. And I can find bad information. Today, our information doesn't come in a 15 volume thing, it comes on one of these real quick. And we have to be real careful. Super careful. About what men say, we need to make sure that what we are taking from a man is actually what the Word of God says. Because we can be believer, we know, we can know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're on the road to heaven, but we can get some false things in our heads. We need to make sure we know what God's Word says about it. And sadly, the false teacher knows all, how to use a little bit of truth get you all mixed up with a bunch of false things. And we need to know the truth as believers. I mean, we could say an offhanded remark about somebody... And now person takes it and goes and takes everything that person said as the gospel. No, we need to be careful. We need to make sure that we're not allowing false things to come into our lives. We need to be standing on guard. Now, there's not, there's no way possible as a pastor that I can keep up with all the false things that are on the internet and that are being printed. There's no way. But, I got some great news for you. All of us can know the truth. And the truth will help us know what's error, what's false. Just like they teach the bankers, the tellers, they they don't teach them all the false bills. They teach them the one and true bill. Once, Once you touch it, you know it's true. We need to know God's word and be in it. Now, I'm a pastor, right? You understand that? So there's going to be times when people don't like the way I do things. Oh, well, it's part of my job. I get it. You know, And people can say things in the wrong manner. They can say the wrong way, whatever, you know. You do have to have a bit of a hard skin. That's not to say that what you say never hurts me. I'm human just like you. But it comes with a job that I have to listen, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But i got a real problem. I mean, I have a really big problem. My nicey-nice face goes away when someone purposely discourages or tries to deceive a child of God. That's serious stuff. That's wrong. And you you come alongside and try to teach my children or the children of our church, or you come alongside and try to encourage some folks in our church, let's just say the fellowship will be intense because it's wrong. And we're going to stand for truth. We're going to stand for truth. And I'm in good company. God does, not, God does not appreciate, God does not approve the person who comes along and offends one of his little ones. God's word is pretty clear. That's serious. He's, shown, he's telling his disciples in verse 42, he's telling us today in verse number 42, it's still serious. That's a caution. It's very serious. Watch out. A caution about sin. Verses 43 down to 48. These verses give us very graphic nature, uh, uh, the the warning to the saint and the sinner alike about sin. It talks about the hand, the foot, and the eye offending thee. And Jesus refers to the hand, foot, and the eye, and these are the three problem areas when we come with dealing with sin. The hand refers to the things that we do, right? What we're doing, our hand. The foot, where are we going? Our feet lead us, right? We the feet is our, the way of getting there. And the eye. What do we see and what do we desire to have? And what do we desire to see? And, and these three words are described in areas uh, of our hearts as humans in 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Jesus says that if a hand, foot, and eye causes you to sin, you need to take drastic action and amputate that part of the body so that you won't give in to those desires. Now Jesus is using a form of speech. It's called exaggeration in the sense that he's not telling you to go cut off your hand. Okay. But he's trying to be very direct with his disciples and tell them that this is very serious, gentlemen. This is serious. And we need, don't, don't, you know, just put it to the side. He, he's not, he's not commanding us to mutilate our bodies, but he's trying to tell us to emphasize the horrible nature of sin. That's what he's trying to tell us. And we need to watch out for it. No amount of surgery on the outside will, will cure the inside. There needs to be a transformation in the inside. Amen? That transformation takes place when you understand that you're a sinner. And that you're lost. And without Jesus Christ, you're headed to a crisis eternity. And you know that without Christ, that's, that's your end. And you repent. You turn from whatever you were trusting in. And you put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the transformation that needs to take place. Cutting off your hands and your feet and taking out your eyes will not make that happen. You need a new heart. And that can only be done by Jesus. Man needs to be born again. What well, Jesus is talking about in these verses is how we deal with our sin. When temptation uh, comes, and sin, temptation to sin comes in our lives, we must deal with it immediately. If you leave it, left the temptation just hanging out there, there's a good possibility you're going to grab it. You just leave it hanging out there. Just leave it there. You know, you need to be decisive when the temptation comes. Oh no, I'm not doing it. And walk away. You know, you need, you need to, uh, uh, get rid of it ruthlessly. Don't allow sin to establish a toehold in your life because soon it'll be a beachhead and then they'll invade your whole life. Can't, don't give it just a little bit. You know, you gotta be ruthless with it. If a relationship you're in this morning is leading you in temptation and sin, you need to cease in that relationship. You need to. If some activity, you know, it can be pretty harmless, you know, if we don't watch it. I remember growing up, I used to love to make model airplanes. You know, I, was, I was pretty good at um, putting them together, but painting, oh my, <laughs> I stank at painting those airplanes. So they were all that metallic color, whatever they came in the box, that's what they remained. You know, I just, I just like to put them together. I thought it was really neat. I mean, I could take a hobby like that, which is pretty innocent, right? Making airplanes. I I I love to do that. Uh, But if I took that hobby and spent more money on it, I could be tempted to do that. Spend more time at it, and then, well, well, Sunday morning. Well, that's about the only time I have anymore now to really spend some quality time making these models. Do you see where I'm going? It's easy to have a hobby that can get you into some places. The hobby itself is not wrong, but you're taking time away from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wrong. We need to watch it. We need to do that examination of our heart. Where are we? And, and if that's the case, cut it out. Chop it off and let it go. In the Jewish society, the, the right eye, the right foot, and the right hand represented the person's best and most precious faculties. So when Jesus says this to the man, they know exactly what he's talking about. They understand it. The right eye spoke of one's best vision. The right foot spoke of one's best walk. The right hand spoke of one's best skills. And Jesus is simply saying that we must be willing to give up the most precious and most valuable things in order to avoid sin. To avoid sin. Jesus warns his disciples that nothing in this world is so valuable that's worth going to hell over it. You know Jesus believed in in hell. He taught about it right here in this verse, these verses. So hell, hell is real. Uh, I do not believe the, the liberal teachers and teachers and pastors out there today and scholars say, "Oh, is this figurative?" No, it's real. It's real. And his reference to hell are very graphic. And you should not be comfortable when you read about hell. Because it's not a comfortable place. It should make you feel uncomfortable. And anything, it should urge you to help people not to go to hell. Because it's a horrible place. The word hell comes from the word Gehenna, which Gehenna was a place in the Valley of Hinnom near Jerusalem. In ancient times, it had been a site devoted to uh Pagan worship, extremely pagan, extremely uh, horrible and wicked. It was here that the people of Israel had uh, sacrificed their children to false gods. The false gods are the Canaanites. King Josiah, I like this guy, King Josiah, he becomes king. He goes into that area. He tears down all the altars and desecrates the whole site, and he turns it into a garbage dump. I like that guy. Because that's exactly what that place is. is a dump. It's filthy. It's vile. It has nothing to do with what God wants us to do. It's totally contrary to what God has for the children of Israel and for us. So he makes it into what it should be. A dump. By Jesus' day, Gehenai was a horrible place. From what I'm told, fires burn there continually. Wild dogs roamed the area feeding on the carcasses of animals that were dumped there and other scraps and garbage. The insane, the insane individuals, the outcasts lived there as well. And think about, uh, so where I lived in Newfoundland for a long time, we had a, and uh, what they call it, uh, incinerator. So exactly what you're thinking, burning, okay, burning. And they had this big teepee maybe some of you have seen it. I mean, probably in northern Ontario for a while. But they just have a big teepee. You, you drive up to the top and you throw your garbage in. And it's buffling out smoke and stinks. It reeks. And uh, they would go in with a front-end loader once in a while and take out the smoldering embers. And they toss it over there just to make sure there's enough room for the people and the garbage truck to come. Now, they don't do that anymore, but that's what they used to do. And you know what? There's no way that I could go to the dump and not come back smelling like smoke. You know, I, I couldn't go there. And, I mean, it's not like I would go sneak off to the dump, but it's not like my wife would never know when I came home. You know, she'd be like, oh, you were up to the incinerator again. Go change your clothes. Okay, yes, honey, right away, i go. Hey, everybody that close to this place Smelt like it. Smoke everywhere, it reeked. It was horrible. It's not where you would like, hey, it's the Sabbath. Let's go for a little walk up to Kehanai. No. It's disgusting. You didn't want to go there. Jesus is a fitting description of hell to be like this place. And worse. Jesus is trying to teach his children that even in radical surgeries, radical surgery required for a person to be saved, the idea of Knowing Jesus Christ, you need that event to take place. You need a heart transplant. You need to be, have that surgery of the Lord, you know, in your heart and understanding you're lost. And He wants His people to know about this horrible place so we can save some from the fire, amen? And to be concerned about those who are lost. There's a couple realities about hell. Isaiah 66:24, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of men that transgressed against me. For the worm shall not die, neither shall the worm, uh, uh, neither shall their worm uh, not die, and neither shall the fire be quenched, and shall be uh, abhorring unto all flesh. We see here a couple of things. When Jesus says their worm dieth not, I believe this is referring to eternal, internal torments man will suffer in hell, and we know that hell is forever. Heaven is forever, so is hell. When the rich man died and went to hell in Luke chapter 16, we're given a very accurate and very active and very vivid story. And it's not a parable. It's true. But Abraham said, uh, Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. In hell, an individual will remember opportunities they had to be saved. They will remember the love and grace of God. But they are then in an eternity that is forever separated from God. Talk about suffering eternally forever and ever and ever. I'll be honest, as I was preparing this message this week, I was... I wasn't feeling comfortable. Because this place is not a comfortable place. It's a horrible place. Jesus says, and the fire is not quenched. Uh, So we lived in Newfoundland for about ten years. And I lived on the West Coast for about almost eight. And uh, we get a lot of snow out there. Lots of snow. It's a... Snow machine paradise. Everybody's got a snow machine, skidoos, whatever, Bombardier, whatever you want. I mean, it's all kinds of... And you could go skidooing for days. Weeks if you wanted to, if you're really that crazy. But we would go up into what's called the Long Range Mountains. It's all part of the Appalachian Mountain Range. It's just all part of that. And we would travel 50 kilometers into the bush. So, like... No cell service. You know, no checking media pages, no Facebook, no Instagram or whatever. You just go drive out there and you'd actually have to talk to somebody, not text them. All right. It was so much fun. I loved it. And we would spend three or four days in this back country. And we would actually go in a few weeks before we'd go in. And we would bring in all the gasoline that we would need. We would bury it in the snow. That's how much snow we had. We wouldn't leave it out because, you know, there is... People would say, oh, this is from the Lord, and I'll take it home right now. Okay? Uh, so uh, we would bury it. We know where we buried it. And we would use that. Then when we got up there to go, because there's no gas stations up there. So we would, you know, go up there, and we'd have a wonderful time. The country is spectacular. Uh, Ahem. <clears throat> You probably seen uh, the tourist uh, advertisements of Newfoundland there's a guy standing at like a, in the front of a gorge or fjord he stand on top of a rock and you see the fjord and there's a lake down the middle. well we would skidoo up there it was amazing it was so awesome we had such a great time and our guide who was a Christian fella he owned a cabin we'd get there and uh, get ourselves squared away so it was uh oh yeah. There was no, run, there was running water, but it was 200 feet that way, called a river. And we'd get the water. There's no power, you know. It was, oh, 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 oh. it was manly things. All right. Just thinking about it, it makes me feel more manly. But it was wonderful time. And it was a, a two-story affair. Uh, and the main, the, the the cabin itself wasn't much bigger than this, uh, maybe a little bit bigger than this platform. Not a lot, but a bit bigger. And on the main level was the kitchen, which is the stove, okay, the wood stove where we cooked everything. I thought we had a couple of little propane things there, but we cooked in as well. But there was a little sink there, and, uh, and uh, a big long table. And onto the sides, there was a couple bunk beds, a couple couches that turned into beds at night. So it was the area that everyone kind of hung out when we weren't skidooing on the snow machines. And then upstairs, it was just all bunks and two windows. At either end, because it was like a, almost like a attic type of affair. The, the roofs came down so low, so windows on the either end. And, uh, so you know, we're all together having a great time, and, uh, you know, staying up late, and telling stories. I'm sure most of them were not true, but they were so funny, so we're laughing, and, uh, so we, off to bed we go, and, uh, at night, we're supposed to close the hatch, like the door for upstairs, because the wood stove's going, And you know what heat does, right? It always sinks. No. always goes up. All right? So they're feeding that uh, wood stove like crazy. Like wood's going in there all the time just to keep downstairs warm because it goes up so quick. So we're supposed to close this hatch. And, well, I was tired, so I went to bed first. About 2 o'clock in the morning, I wake up. And... My lungs felt like they were on fire. I mean, my mouth was as dry. Actually, I think the paper of my Bible was more moist than my mouth. It was so hot, and it was pitch black. We're 50 kilometers up in the country. There's no lights. The only light that you might get is to see the, the stars at night and the moon. It's pitch black. You know what I first thought when I woke up? This place is on fire! And I'm pretty sure I said it that loud too (laughs) when I woke up. my first thought, you know when you wake up 2 o'clock in the morning, you really never have really good thoughts? So 2 o'clock in the morning, the first thing I thought is, I'm going out the window! I'm glad that window didn't open. (laughs) So then my next thought is, I'm getting out of here. So I run to the other end of the... Top floor. I run down the steps, and I run right outside. And as I'm going, I'm not doing... How do I go. Everybody's awake. I don't care. This place is on fire. Why is it so hot? And I stand out there for about 10 minutes, and I think we helped with the global warming. There's like 15 of us up there. Just the steam coming off us for about 15 minutes. It was so hot. It was unbelievable. We all laughed about it and things. And I stood out there. I'm like... Man, I could escape that, but no one can escape hell. No one can. And we weren't on fire. It was just someone had forgot to close the hatch. And we dealt out some severe punishment for that individual later, but the reality is you can never escape the realities of hell if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't like telling you that, but it's absolutely true. And I love to tell you about heaven because heaven is wonderful. It's amazing. Why would you want to choose hell? Why wouldn't you want to choose heaven? Why would you not want to spend eternity with Christ? I'm telling you, folks, I was scared for about 50 minutes. I mean, it took me a while just to get over that event. Waking up like that, thinking the place is on fire. I mean deep breath. You know. In hell there's never a reprieve. Hell is a place of punishment, Matthew 24 25, verse 41. Hell is a place of fire. We Luke chapter 16 it refers to that. It's so bad that that man, the rich man, asked Abraham, just Just dip your finger in the water and give me some relief and put it on my tongue. Um, Have you ever tried? That's not much relief, is it? But he's just looking for just a little bit of relief because of the fire, the thirst. It's a place of of pain. Have you ever made a bad decision and you you live with that decision for a long time? Maybe you still are living with that decision. That's, that's painful, isn't it? Let's just be honest. The reality is here, this pain, besides the physical pain, I think you remember for eternity that you did not accept Jesus Christ. The best decision you could ever make, and you didn't make it. Place of eternally separated from God. Hell is real. And it's not a place you're gonna go hang out with your buddies. And you're going to have a great time playing cards. You know, it's not where you're going to go regroup with all your old buddies and have a good time. No, it's horrible. It's bad. But I got great news. You don't need to go. You don't need to go. You can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. You can know Him. And believers, sin is not something that we can mess around with. You might think, hey, I'm the master here. Listen, it won't be long before you're the slave if you're messing around with sin. You know, it wants to ruin you. Whatever that poison is, whatever that sin is, it's not worth Eternity separated from God in a place called hell. It's not worth It's not. A caution about service in verse 49 and 50. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. A caution about service. In all these verses, Jesus is talking to his people. He's telling people of God, first, you know, warns us against offending the weaker believers, brothers. And in the next part there, uh, uh, Jesus warns his people to avoid the terrible tragedies, uh, tragic consequences, sorry, of sin. He's saying, as a believer, we can't lose our salvation, but the destroyer is looking to take everybody else with him. Satan wants to destroy all. And we need to be willing to reach out. And then here Jesus warns his people that serving him will cry sacrifice. Require sacrifice. Verse 49, Jesus, for everyone shall be salted with fire. As you know, fire is a purifier, right? It's a cleansing agent. Jesus is telling those who will be his servants to expect to be cleansed with fire. In other words, God will allow us to go through some trials. He'll allow us to go through some unpleasant things. He's going to be there all the time, but he's doing that to make us and make an effort to make us more like Jesus. To help we have our eyes upon the Lord. Yea, and all that you will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Second Timothy 3.12. I believe those events help us have compassion for others. Enables us to be better servants and ministers of the gospel when we go through those struggles, those things that are very Difficult. And then Jesus says, every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. This is a reference back to the Old Testament error. When sacrifice was offered, it was, offered, was often made offered with salt. Uh, uh, Leviticus 2 and Ezekiel 43 talk about it. Again, salt was a purifying agent. Uh, it was made the sacrifice acceptable to the Lord. Jesus is telling his followers that there will, they have to be willing to be sacrificed. There, there is going to be sacrifices made. And we're giving up our rights to serve Him. Romans 12.1 tells us about that, right? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In verse 50, Jesus said, salt is good. Salt is good. Salt was a very valuable commodity in that day. The ancient Jews had a say that the world cannot survive without salt. The word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which refers to the fact that Roman soldiers were often paid their wages in salt. Well, I'm very thankful that the church here doesn't do that for me. Uh, but back in that day, salt was as, as valuable as gold. You could, they could, the soldier could take that salt, bring it to the market, and trade it ounce for ounce for gold. That's pretty amazing. Salt was necessary in that day, long before the day of refrigeration, right? To, to preserve. Meat would quickly spoil but if meat was pickled in a salt brine solution, it would keep for long periods of time. Salt was good, uh, to make something that didn't taste so good better. Salt, some, uh, you know, we, we, uh, use salt or salt has been used to place in wounds to help them heal. I could think of times growing up, uh, get a nasty hangnail on my finger and it starts to get infected. My mom would make me put my finger in a hot bowl of water with salt. I think at first I thought she was just being like, I mean, mom, like this hurts. But put it in there, and she little pin pricked my finger, and see all that infection come out. It's like, mom, you're so smart. How did you know this? You know, type of thing. And it stopped the spread of corruption. No, it just that's what it did. So it was a preservative, flavoring, and antiseptic, and it was a currency. He didn't know all that about salt. I didn't know about that till this week that salt was used in all those ways. Salt's good. But what if salt loses its saltiness? What's it good for then? In that day it was very easy for other minerals to come in contact and contaminate the salt. So then the salt would taste horrible. You wouldn't keep it. Well, what's the sense of taking, keeping salt that's not even doing what it's supposed to? You know what would happen, right? Chucked under the roadside. It was thrown out. Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. In this context, to have salt means to be real. Jesus is telling us that we are to be true, we're going to be true children of God. We should be acting like and living like children of God. Hey, if our world, if our city, if Canada ever needed Christians to live like Christians and children of God, it's today. It's today. Now, we don't cause others to stumble and fall into sin. That should never be part of our actions and our desires. We should avoid sin at all costs in our lives. We need to be willing to embrace the, the sacrificial life and demonstrate to those around us that, hey, we serve Jesus. Have you noticed that salt makes you thirsty? So I grew up in Newfoundland. We had all kinds of salt fish. I mean, all the time. My uncles were fishermen and we get all kinds of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think the reason we got so much fish is because my dad was a construction worker. He built wharfs. But he never was on the sea. So I think my uncles actually thought my dad was a land lover. So we're like, oh, we feel pity for you guys. So here you go. And land lovers, those who don't go to sea, just so you know. So he, they would, we get all kinds of salt fish. Well, there's one time my uncle forgot to tell my mom that the, the fish was salted. And my mom salted it again. And so we're all excited. It's the traditional Newfoundland meal. There's salt fish. There's potatoes. And there's these pickles that are covered in mustard. Takes real good. Don't think it's gross until you try. It's really good. And we dig into that and almost all of us at the same time ate the fish and then almost all of us at the same time look at each other. And then almost all of us at the same time reach for the water container. It was super salty. And it was, blah, 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 blah. And I think my sister actually went to the sink and just pouring the water in. It was just so salty. Salt creates thirst. When we as believers are salty and walking with Jesus, that will create a thirst for others to see, hey, there's, he's got something different. Hey, if you can walk into your workplace and no one sees anything different about you, you talk the same, you do the same, you look the same, and same, 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 they're never going to want to come with you to church. They're never going to be caring about who Jesus is. They're never going to care about Christianity. We need to be salty. We need to be different. Like salt, we're to be a preserving agent and such. When we are around, our presence should raise the moral atmosphere in the situation. Hey, I'm not going to go into my cousin's place. I love my cousin and then sit down and watch it. A horrible movie with her kids? No. Hey, let's go do something else. I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to talk like you, my friend. That's not the way I talk. I'm going to talk a way that lifts up people. Promotes honesty. Elevates the conversation. Stirs the uh, the conscience. And makes people want to live a little cleaner. Now, I understand that does not save people. But we're demonstrating that we are saved. We're not living like that no more. I'm so glad I got a dad who's still alive and he has a testimony. I remember working at the shop with my dad and someone would come in and he'd be cursing and swearing and they'd look at my dad and say, I'm sorry, Vern, I know you don't believe that way. Hey, he's raised in the atmosphere, in his workplace, in a secular place. Don't tell me you can't do it. You can. To the power of Jesus Christ. Hey, just keep living for Jesus. Oh, that's not to say that uh, the bad things didn't happen at my dad's place for sure. It's life; it happens. But he maintained a testimony, and he was a preserving agent in the place that he worked. So can you? So can you? Oh, I understand that you. Well, I'm not the manager, Pastor. Alcock. I can't change. No, I understand. But you can take care. You can have your light shine in your little corner, and you, you can you can make a stand for Jesus. And you can show love. Hey, like salt, we didn't make this world thirsting for Jesus. Like salt, we're to make this world better. Hey, you know, you're, you're given each week. You're given to world evangelism and through our faith promise. And you're given tithes and offerings. You're, you're given to help reach more people for Jesus so this world can be changed. Amen. And I'm so thankful you give. But you can do it too. You you don't have to send your money to someone over in Japan, though we want to help missionaries in Japan. But you can do it in your place in Mississauga and Toronto, Brampton, wherever you work. You're going to be a light. You're going to be a salt in that place. Jesus closed this chapter by saying, And have peace one with another. You'll remember that disciples have been arguing, right? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. And they've been rebuked, the man who was not working in the name of Jesus. That man was able to cast out a demon from a man. Listen, you can't do that on your own. That man served Jesus, but he wouldn't come with them. And they were mad at him, and they said some things to him. And Jesus says, hey, we're working together. We're working together. I think the Lord is saying that His people, uh, we should be working together. Listen, we need to rebuke falseness. Don't you think for a minute that I'm going to stand for error and what's wrong in the world and loud in our church? But we need to work together, amen, for the cause of Christ. There's so many people who need to be reached. Again, this week, just watching people walk on by our church each day. Oh, look at that place. I wonder what goes on in there. So many people from all around the world live right here. And we need to be the salt. We need to be the salt. We need to be the light. It's easy to lose our saltness. We need to remember that we serve Jesus. We need to renew that commitment. We need to show His character day by day. And we need to have peace one with another.